Welcome to the Thomas Industry Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Kathy Ma. Today, I'm joined by Jens Gamperl. Jens is the CEO and founder of Source Engine, a global technology company specializing in the distribution of electronic components. With a vision of a new supply chain without geographical barriers, Source Engine was founded in 2015 to help customers better navigate the electronic component market. Jens has a really exciting and extensive work history across his 30 years of experience in the industry. In 1999, he founded Easy Training, an e-learning service for sales associates in Europe, and has since established global companies in the US and Europe. Let's get into the episode. Hello, Jens. I'm Kathy Ma, VP of Platform Growth and Engagement for Sometry. Really nice to have you on this call today. How are you today? I'm excellent, and thank you so much, Kathy, for having me. Where are you calling from in the world? Actually, I'm right now in Florida. I'm commuting uh, between Florida and California most time of the year. And in the summer, usually I spend two months in Europe in our European offices. That's a, that's a perfect combination. Uh, I am British, so I kind of love the ability to stay in America and also Europe at times. Now, let's start by talking about um, your company and your experience in industry. What inspired you to found your company and how did you develop your supply chain experience um, as a result, you know, creating sourceability and source engine? I started actually in the in distribution in 1983. So it's a long time ago. And I worked for some of the largest distributors back then in, in Germany. It was a company called Computer 2000, which is tech data today and um, switched from the IT industry to the electronic components industry in 1999. And um, during my time, I worked for different distributors. And when I had the opportunity in 2015 um, or in 2014 to think about a new job uh, because I left my old company, um, then I really decided um, none of the existing companies that I've seen in the business really matched my vision. And, and I um, took the idea and then I decided uh, to start my own company. And so far, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that because I can see really the, the uh, <clears throat> development that we have done in less than seven years. I expect us to break in, in 2022 already the $1 billion mark, which I think is for a pretty new company. It's, it's quite amazing. That's fantastic. And for the audiences that might not have heard of Sourceability or Source Engine, could you give us an overview? Sure. Sourceability is a distribution company for electronic components. It's kind of a hybrid. We have like 80, 90 manufacturers that we represent officially. And we have also a portion where we source products for our customers that we don't have on our, on our franchise line card. And uh, the idea to start Source Engine uh, came from the quoting. Uh, our customers expect a lot of quotes and in a short time period. And uh, five, six, seven years ago, um, you would uh, get a requirement with two, 3,000 electronic components for quoting. And that what you have done, you take the... The, the spreadsheet, you break it down in multiple spreadsheets, you send it to suppliers, you get the quotes back, you consolidate it in one Excel sheet, and then you quote the customer. And ultimately, when we quoted the customers back then, 
quite kind way of obsolete because there was always a change in, in inventory, in pricing. And Source Engine is a result of this. It's the first and, and only real marketplace in the electronic component industry where you can require a quote, uh, um, uh, an, uh, where you can submit a request for quote and you get an immediate quote from more than 4,000 suppliers who are present at the Source Engine right now. That is incredible. Um, given that you're on the front seat of the market and it has changed so much in the last two to three years uh, because of all the different big circumstances, um, how are you seeing chip manufacturers navigate the shortages, especially for the automotive and electronic industry? Yeah, I, I, obviously, um, um, my background is German. I have a really tight relationship with um, most of the German car manufacturers. And um, they had no really idea about the components that they have uh, manufactured into their cars, cars because they mainly bought applications from their tier one suppliers. So they would buy a GPS system or a brake system or a lighting system, and they didn't really know what's on the component level. So with, with the shortages, with, with, when the pandemic hit, um, obviously the automotive industry was worried because everything is just in time that they might sit on large inventories and they started pushing and canceling orders with the, uh, um, the, the manufacturers of electronic components. And then after, and I think here in the US was a good example when the government came in and, and supported the people, first thing they did, they bought new cars. And um, this is then when the uh, um, car manufacturers realized, okay, there will be not really a, a drop down in demand. But what happened, other industries occupied and took their deliveries. So the delivery times, the lead times were pushed out up to right now, we're seeing lead times with certain manufacturers between 50 and 70 weeks. And for the ma manufacturers, it's, it's a kind of a dilemma, because if you really want to increase the supply of electronic components, there's always a huge investment behind, a huge capex. It's not like I, I build an electronic component factory tomorrow and it works. It takes you two to three years to plan and build a, 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 a factory and it always requires in the billions to do so. That is a really good point. Um, to, to recap what you're saying, you know, we people may not understand on a component level how complicated the electronic supply chain is and going to be and um you, you as a as a as an international business person you see that there are increased interests in potentially investing in onshoring and reshoring now um we talk a lot about the use of data today in also helping buyers and suppliers being able to understand real-time availability yes. and transactional information. So I want to take our conversation to the fact that there are a lot of conversation about the pandemic accelerating us towards Industry 5.0 uh, and that the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning can potentially allow manufacturers to have better visibility of the supply chain. What's your view on this? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And I, I just want to mention, I think uh, first signs of a possible shift of onshoring production was when the Trump administration imposed sanctions on certain products and manufacturers out of Asia. I think that was a first sign where 
people understood that having all the production in, in, in China might be very risky. Um, looking forward, uh, we see there's a, a lot of movement, I think, in the U.S. I, I just visited two weeks ago Austin, a booming city. It's interesting how much money uh, uh, is flowing into Texas for production uh, causes. The same you can see in, in, in Arizona, if you go to the Phoenix area, there, it's a real boom. And, and I think um, this will be a process um, that really makes sense, especially for us here in America, to get a little bit more independence from logistics issues. We've seen also the, 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 the logistics problems that we have, if it's by sea or by air. And uh, um, that means there is a shift on where your product will be produced and how you get to it. And um, I think it's important that the data that companies like us have available, that we can put this data and deliver it to our customers in form from intelligence so they can make their decisions. And every single change in a, in a projection will be immediately in real time then visible to them. And this is what we are working on right now beside uh, uh, Source Engine. We have another uh, platform um, that's called data link where we provide exactly this information to our customers. What are some other ways manufacturers can utilize advancements in technology to predict or at least minimize future supply chain strains, Jens? Yeah, I, I think it, I, if, if you look at most of the companies, they have most of this information. The question really is, in what kind of format? Do they still have it in files, in, in, in spreadsheets, in Word files, in PDFs? Or are they able to, to uh, uh, collect the data digital and then process it digital? If, if I look to some of our customers, some of the largest manufacturers of electronic components um, on, on the whole planet, they have all these informations and they are working um, with their ERP systems, with their PLM systems to collect this data and use this data then to make these predictions. And what, what you just mentioned, I think predictive analytics, yeah, uh, forecasting how a supply chain might develop and, and um, also taking in consideration certain risks. Yeah? Um, why is no, not so much production in California? Because we still have the risk of earthquakes. Yeah? Why is not so much in Florida? Because we, we have hurricane seasons that usually, and we saw that last year in, in Texas, that might impact the supply chain. So people take that in consideration. They develop products. And I'm, I'm very optimistic that in three to five years from now, we are much closer to in, in predicting what happens to what really happens then. And um, in addition to digitalizing the supply chain, you, dis you discussed the importance of manufacturing self-sufficiency in a recent article you wrote for Forbes. Walk us through your thinking around that. What are the benefits of having both localized and diversified manufacturing locations? Yeah, if, if, you, have, if you have more... First, we have to see. We had all this production environment in the US and it was moved uh, to Asia, yeah, and, and it shows the dependency. If you just see the dependency on transport, yeah, um, on the availability of, 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 of shipping containers, of boats, of air freight, um, all that stuff makes us really vulnerable, yeah, if we have to, if we have to carry product tens of thousands of miles across oceans. Um, so it make, gives us more independency. I also think um, that. Um, beside the advantage for the labor market that we still have the best engineers 
here in the US and that engineering, from my perspective, coming from Europe, always works best when it's close to manufacturing. So I, I see a lot of upside and I really support uh, th this process. And, and, and I'm, I'm, uh, I think people should be a little bit more bold, not only look on the, on the costs of production, but also the advantage that you have when you have a local production. That is a really good point. At Thomas, we are constantly talking to industrial buyers and suppliers, and a, a shipment container from China to West Coast used to be around $1,500, and currently is over $20,000, sometimes up to twenty-five. And being able to have real-time data in understanding the potential upside or downside of how the supply chain systems change will, will be really important, um, if not already. So in your experience, Jens, how do the benefits of reshoring outweigh the potential cost of moving operations back to our local um, production facilities, you think? The, the, the question really is, do we move back or do we build new factories? Yeah, I, I don't really see the, the move back. I think what happens is there is addi uh, additional production. Yeah, and that additional production now will be onshore. It's not like that I have to move a factory from Asia, uh, disassemble it, and then build it in the US. I think it's going to be a mix. Yeah, We should also not underestimate, even if we increase our production capacities, not only on semiconductors, also for finished goods uh, in the US, Yeah, which might, hopefully might happen. Still, a tremendous amount of production will happen over the next decades in Asia. Uh, it might move a little outside of China. We have seen that into Vietnam, Indonesia, Taiwan, Malaysia. So it also gets more di diversified uh, at this end. It's not like that we take everything back in the US and we manufacture it here. I think it's simply a good option to have a portion of your portfolio, yeah, of your production portfolio back home here in the United States. So we always love asking leaders, successful leaders like you, what are the best practices and, and habits? What are the two best lessons you have learned in your 30 years of industry experience? Oh, you know, in, in our industry, I, I always learned, and this is something for sure we will see, when it's really bad, like it is right now, it sometimes doesn't really take long to become really good. Yeah, so I'm I'm not pessimistic. I haven't seen a shortage like this in in my nearly forty years in in our industry. Uh, it, it's definitely unseen. But I also know at a certain point there will be some light at the end of the tunnel, and then it will quickly change. Um, we see the first signs if if you just look TV. Like sometimes I watch like CNBC. First, we we see first layoffs of of uh, big companies, uh, um, Fortune 500 companies laying off people. This will automatically now slow probably the demand. Um, I have a good example. If if you look and uh, um, I, I take this as an example because I really followed the history. When the pandemic hit in March 2020, one of the most successful companies also using electronic components in the US was Peloton. Yeah, the gyms were closed. People would buy their workout equipment for home. Yeah, and, and now the pandemic loosened. People are going out. They're not working home, working out at home. They're going back to the gym. So the numbers coming down, which means there's a lot of demand that simply that will slow down and um, I'm very optimistic that from something really bad, it can change in a short time to something really good. 
And this is something I've learned and, um, and I stick to it. I, I, I always talk to my kids about it and say, look, if you really think you hit a wall, you'll see uh, a day later, two days later, um, all that stuff becomes a little bit more, more, more exciting and there will be a future and there will be an exciting future for us. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time today. Um, I, I, I learned a lot uh, in particular, I think, the, especially with the semiconductor electronic market internationally, there are going to be so much changes because in the last few decades, a lot of the R&D had been outsourced to Asia. But um, instead of just producing based on spec in Europe and the US, the innovation is insane from, you know, Samsung and um, the, the Taiwanese as well. It would be really interesting to see for the next five years what component production supply chain get moved around to mitigate that international supply chain situation that we saw. Yeah. And we have seen that before. Uh, in, in, 80, in, in 1989, when the, the Berlin Wall fell, a lot of production car manufacturers, German car manufacturers went into Eastern Europe. Then all of a sudden, Eastern Europe, which had a really good labor pool, yeah, was too expensive and it moved into Asia. But they realized that having all the, the production so far from the engineering and the assembling of the cars, a lot of, of this was uh, uh, taken back and brought back into countries like Czech Republic, Poland, Hungary. And, and uh, I, I'm sure we will see stuff like this. Um, it's not always good to be go only one direction. We have to diversify. And I think, unfortunately, it was a pandemic, but uh, there's always a trigger point. Um, it helped us long term to be in a better position here in the US in manufacturing. Uh, and also, I think we always were world class in engineering. Thank you, Jens. What a, what a beautiful message. Diversity and creating more opportunities for all. Thank you for your time today. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview with Jens Gamperl, please subscribe, share with a colleague or leave a review.